Some people have strange ideas about marriage. I heard about a woman who wanted to marry four different men during her lifetime. Fortunately, one husband at a time was enough. Still, she firmly believed that it would take four diverse men to meet her various needs over time, starting with a banker. After the banker, she wanted to marry a movie star and then a preacher. In the final stage of her life, she planned to marry an undertaker. Her friend thought her desire was strange and asked why. The woman answered, that's simple. One for the money, two for the show, three to get ready, <laughs> and four to go. Well, all kidding aside, from the beginning, marriage was God's idea. And his thoughts about marriage have not changed. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. If you expected marriage to be nothing but blue skies and rainbows, it's not all your fault. The truth is, you've been lied to. Hello, Brian Davis here, and you're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Hollywood movies and romance novels might lead married couples to believe that the honeymoon should never be over. Today, Ron takes us straight to God's Word to show us that conflict it's a very real, very natural issue in marriage. How does God instruct us to resolve marital conflict? Stay with us now to find out or look for us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now from his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good radio message, Song of Solomon, The Secrets of a Satisfying Marriage. To resolve their marital conflict, uh, Solomon and Shulamith, I'm in chapter five and six, they defeat selfishness. They avoid retaliation. They pursue peace and reconciliation. They remember why they chose each other. I, I, I love having this conversation with uh, couples who are just at odds with one another. I, I just say, take me back to the days when you fell in love. Why did you fall in love with him and why did you fall in love with her? Why did you plan to get married? What, what, what did you envision at that time? You gotta go back and remember those times. Seek wise counsel. Song, song of uh, Solomon and Shulamith do that. Uh, they, they, they ultimately choose the better path toward reconciliation. It wasn't easy. It was hard work. Uh, they had to both be engaged, but they renew their marriage covenant in chapter 6 through verse 13. It's a beautiful picture. I remember when Catherine and I were dating and we were engaged and uh, we did some premarital counseling and somebody spoke into our relationship. This was, I'll say 28 years ago because we celebrate our 27th anniversary here in August. They said, you know, conflict is inevitable and when you're in that heated moment, remember this, my mate is not my enemy. Say that with me, my mate is not my enemy. My mate, my wife Catherine, is not only not my enemy, she's my best friend. I married my best friend. 
We were best friends for three and a half years before we ever started dating. And um, I really did marry my best friend. And I think that's kind of what Shulamith had in mind when in chapter 5 and verse 16, she, she had one of those sane moments in the middle of their marital spat, their conflict, their bedroom brawl, she says in verse 16, this is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The daughters of Jerusalem represent kind of her wise counsel, her friends, her extended family perhaps. She, she says, I, you know, we're not getting along right now, but I, I, I just, this is my friend. It's my best friend. If I can't resolve a conflict with my best friend, what hope do I have of resolving and reconciling any relationship out there? Uh, this of all relationships is worth working on. Conflict and resolution. We've got to move on. And now from the middle of chapter 6 all the way through the end of the book, romance and faithfulness. Fast forward the relationship. What does it look like to make love last forever? What does enduring love look like? Well, in chapter seven, really starting in the middle of chapter six, Solomon and Shulamith, they put the sizzle back into their marriage. Making up is always more fun than breaking up, right? And uh, well, it gets a little steamy, a little sizzly in the uh, middle of chapter six and through chapter seven. And from this, we learn 10 characteristics of marriages that sizzle rather than fizzle out and go flat like a, uh, a can of soda pop, including, uh, well, let me just list them here, words of affirmation. Again, <laughs> understand you have a responsibility in this marriage to speak positive, affirming words to your mate. If they don't hear them from you, who are they going to hear it from? Maybe the wrong person. And in a vacuum, somebody else fills that space. As this is how affairs start physical and emotional ones. They begin putting the sizzle back into their marriage with words of affirmation. And then there's servant leadership I read about there. There's mutual trust. There's healthy self-esteem, sexual playfulness, purity, unconditional support. I know I'm going fast, but you're going to have to read this on your own. There's mutual honor there, common desire. There's creativity. All the kinds of things, the ingredients that it takes to have a marriage that sizzles and doesn't fizzle. And then that brings us to chapter 8, where, again, making love last forever is the theme. And among other things, an enduring passion gets back to that sizzle. An enduring passion and sizzle in the marriage uh, is characteristic of those marriages that last uh, forever. And enduring love requires a strong, strong commitment to one another and to your marriage, the kind of commitment that says divorce is not an option. Catherine and I established that line during our dating years. In our engagement time, we went into marriage saying divorce is not an option. And by the way, if divorce is not an option, don't use it as a threat. Even in your most heated moments, we will take the better path toward reconciliation because it glorifies God. It's best for us in the end, best for the kids, the family. Shulamith describes that commitment she's looking for in chapter 8 and verse 6 where she says, 
Place me, she's saying this to Solomon, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. What is that all about? Let's start with the seal. She says, place place me and my love for you as a seal on your heart and then on your arm. In ancient times, a king would have a seal They'd pour wax onto a document or a letter and then he'd stamp his seal into it. It was the king's seal and the idea that is that it's an unbreakable seal. You don't break the king's seal. And Shulamith says, I, I, I need you to place my love for you like a seal over your heart in the private places. I need to know and when it's just you and me in conversation, that you have for me and I have for you an unbreakable commitment to making this work. But not just in the private places, in your heart, but also on your arm, in the public places. I need to know and you need to know from me that when I'm out there publicly and and when we're together, uh, that people know we're together. And when you're someplace else and I'm not beside you, people know you belong to somebody else and you're committed to me and I'm committed to you. It's gonna take that kind of commitment and that kind of seal in the private places and in the public places for our marriage to last forever. Solomon, when you're traveling on a business trip, you don't take off your ring and send mixed messages. You, you, you don't receive the flirtation from somebody. And I won't do the same either. I, I won't talk about you bad behind your back with all of my girlfriends over here. No, there is a commitment, a shared commitment that we will have for one another, like a seal over your heart and a seal on your arm. And then she drops death and jealousy into the mix here which otherwise might sound like two relationship killers, right? I mean, what does jealousy have to do with making love last forever? That's that's kind of a relationship killer, isn't it? Well, not exactly. There are two kinds of jealousy. And death, I mean, death separates us forever, right? So, So what is she talking about here? Well, just as the grave is unrelenting and does not give back the dead, she is unwilling to give up on the marriage and she wants Solomon to share in the sentiment there. Love is as strong as death. It is unrelenting. We are not going to give up on this relationship. We will travel the better and yes, sometimes the harder path toward reconciliation. She also desires from Solomon the kind of jealousy that protects what is precious. You know you have something very precious called this marriage, and you protect it against any and all intruders that would weaken that commitment in any way, shape, or form. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's message is part of Ron's teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. And as you may have heard, Ron has written two companion guides by the same title, 
a pair of beautifully designed volumes that cover both the Old and New Testaments and all eight road trips that he'll be taking you on right here on Something Good Radio. When you give your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good, Ron will gladly send you both volumes. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. This is our way of saying thank you for your generous gift to support the ministry of Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099. You can also mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Now let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Song of Solomon, The Secrets of a Satisfying Marriage. That's just one of uh, many characteristics of a love that lasts forever, we find in uh, chapter 8. Let me just list some others. Uh, I mentioned their enduring passion, uh, their shared identity, and their shared sense of destiny, just who they are as a couple and where they're going together. There's resilience in the marriage. There's moral discipline in the marriage. There's selflessness. You also get the sense in chapter 8 and verse 7, they treasure or cherish each other like a treasure. Uh, they're, they're still saying to each other after all these years, I, I found a treasure in my wife and my husband, and I, I, I cherish it. You know, in the Jones household, probably like yours, we have, we have two sets of um, dishes and, um, you know, uh, things that we eat on. You know, you grab a plate or something out of the cupboard. We have the fine china. And uh, Catherine has stuff back generations. And that gets special placement in a china cabinet, right? And you pull it out for special occasions. And I have learned early on in our marriage the hard way, you don't put it in the dishwasher, right? You hand wash that. It's, it's special. It's cherished as part of the family. And then you have the everyday stuff, and you have those plastic tumblers you get from the ball game, and yeah, you toss those into the dishwasher. Some of them are sitting in the back seat of your car, you know. Treat your marriage like that fine china. And guys, especially your spouse. Uh, Peter says, as the weaker vessel, yeah, she breaks easier physically, emotionally. You, you treat her as you would a piece of fine china. She's special. Give her the place of honor. You're gentle and tender with your words and with your hands, okay? And you get that sense that Solomon and Shulamith are like that. They cherish each other like a treasure. Well, there you go, the Song of Solomon. That's a, that's a fast run through. But I want you to think this in closing. Uh, the Song of Solomon, S-O-S. That's how we abbreviate when we're noting a, you know, a scripture reference, S-O-S, you know, chapter one, verse two, whatever it is. But S-O-S is also the international Morse code distress signal, isn't it? Now, some say it, uh, it, it means save our souls or save our ship. If you're out on the sea somewhere and you're in a storm and you're in a ship, you send that International Morse Code, S-O-S. Somebody come say it. Some of you, your marriage is at a place where you're sending out an S-O-S. You're in trouble. You're taking on water. You're sinking fast. And you don't know what to do. 
And the beauty is, is that, that God has given us a treasury of wisdom. He has responded to our SOS with the Song of Solomon. It's all right here as it is in other places in the Bible. I could take you to Genesis chapter two, to Ephesians chapter five, to 1 Peter chapter three, and other places where along the ultimate road trip through the Bible, we, we, can, we can go into a rest stop, we can fuel up our relationship and our marriage, we can also do some, some repair work that needs to be done. Maybe you're here and you've got a good marriage Congratulations, maybe you've been married for decades. Maybe like Catherine and me, you're anticipating the celebration of you know, your 27th wedding anniversary. I can guarantee you it hasn't, hasn't been all easy. We've, we've had times when we've been right in the middle of Song of Solomon chapters five and six, conflict and resolution. But every good marriage can be better. And like a car that needs to be brought in to the shop for you know, its regular maintenance, you need to do that. That's another reason to read the Song of Solomon. And here's the homework that I'm gonna give you today um, to read it. We've, we've gone through it fast, but you need to dive into this book. Not long ago, here at this church, I preached a nine-week series of messages through the Song of Solomon. Went a lot deeper than I did today. This was just a summary and an overview. Nine weeks. And recently, through Something Good and Something Good Radio and all that, we just launched a brand new streaming platform which has 30 years of my Bible teaching ministry available in a digital library where you can literally go in and type in the topic, type in the word marriage, and like a Google search engine, it pulls together everything. There are over 300 topics in the digital library. It's all free. Stream it on demand, go there and use it. But this is what Catherine and I do when we're sitting down with couples who are in distress. One of the first things I do is I say, listen, there isn't anything I can say to you that I haven't preached on in 30 years. Go to the digital library, type in the word marriage, listen to the sermons. And before you call the divorce attorney, and there's somebody here online or listening to my voice here that is right there, before you call the divorce attorney, you owe it to yourself and to your spouse and to, you, to, to, to the Lord who saved you to spend, I don't know, seven, eight hours listening to the full version of the Song of Solomon and then asking yourself, as you look into the mirror of God's word, look into the mirror and look at yourself and ask God to show you how do you need to course correct in your marriage to get on the better path toward reconciliation. Don't say, oh, oh honey, I, I heard this, the pastor said this, and you, you need to work on this. Too many couples are doing this, pointing the finger at somebody else. And what often happens is I may be meeting with him, Catherine's meeting with her, we get 90% of the story, but it, that last 10% gets twisted. You never get down to the truth. You need to look at yourself. You fix you. And you become that irresistible person to live with and to be married to. And it'll go a long way toward fixing it. But as long as you're trying to fix the other person, that'll never work. You look in the mirror as you're simultaneously looking into the mirror of God's word and you ask that question, God, show me. Show me me. 
What do I need to do to course correct? And I've seen God, and Catherine and I have seen God do amazing things to heal marriages. When, when, you, when you're open to and responsive to his wisdom about love, marriage, sex, and relationships. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good radio message, Song of Solomon, The Secrets of a Satisfying Marriage. And Ron, in light of what you said earlier today about conflict resolution, let's spend a few minutes talking about why so many marriages ultimately end. The divorce rate is alarmingly high, even among Christians, around 30% or so. Is there some underlying root cause that is common among them? Brian, I think the underlying reason is simply this. We are sinners. In Matthew 19, verse 8, Jesus says to the Pharisees that Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say again, the underlying reason for divorce is our hard, sinful hearts. We are all sinners. Maybe we say we fell out of love or that we're no longer happy or that our spouse isn't the same anymore or any number of other reasons, but the underlying reason is our hard and sinful hearts. Brian, this is such a big question, and it would take quite some time to cover it all, but let me say a couple of things more. Uh, First, the source of our joy is God, not our spouse. When we say things like, I'm just not happy anymore, What we're saying is that the source of our happiness is our spouse, not the spouse has failed, and therefore it's time to move on. But if our perspective was aligned with truth, we would know that if we're not happy, it's really our relationship with God that is out of balance. Divorce simply shifts the responsibility of providing happiness onto another human being, which is dangerous ground for everyone involved. A second point I would make is that one of the issues I see with divorce is that the two people, even Christian people, uh, perhaps didn't have the proper understanding of God's design for marriage when they got married in the first place. They married for love, or so they thought, but maybe they simply married because the other person evoked some kind of emotional feeling in them. And so when problems come, and they always do, the emotional feeling may wear off, which leads to the I'm not happy argument or the you're not the same anymore argument. Well, I urge all married couples to uh, dig into the Word of God and commit yourselves to an honest interpretation of what God says about marriage and divorce. Turn off the world, turn off the talk shows, turn off the secular noise, dive into the truth of God's Word, and accept it as truth, because it is. And then let him begin to repair that which is broken in your marriage, starting with yourself. Staying together is always the much better, more redemptive story. Uh, There's so much more I could say about this, Brian, but uh, for now, let's just stop there. One man, one woman, one lifetime. Thanks for sharing those additional insights from today's message, Song of Solomon, The Secrets of a Satisfying Marriage. Well, Ron, as usual, the clock is winding down, but let's talk for a moment about where you're headed tomorrow here on Something Good Radio. Well, next on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is the starting point for road trip number four, uh, the major prophets, beginning with Isaiah. 
which uh, contains much Bible prophecy. You know, Brian, one of the things I love about Bible prophecy and the Old Testament prophets is that uh, it was written, at least in part, for the benefit of the doubters. It helps us, that is, Bible prophecy, as believers in Christ as well. But the skeptics, the cynics, the um, middle-of-the-roaders, we might say, the show-me-some-of-the-facts some of crowd— um, for them, Bible prophecy is a great way to get the gospel message through uh, to their hearts because much of what we find in Isaiah and other prophetic works are prophecies that have since come to pass. And if anyone bothers to dive into some of the facts surrounding these prophecies, uh, for example, the birth of Christ or the resurrection of Christ, they will find some pretty overwhelming evidence that these things not only took place, but these things were prophesied long ago. Brian, I'm really looking forward to this uh, next road trip, and it all starts uh, next time right here on Something Good Radio. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones takes us to the book of Isaiah in his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Join us then for Something Good. Now for Ron and our team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.